0: Good evening, Salt Company. Welcome to this edition of Salt Company House Church. Tonight, we're going to be uh, resuming our series in Galatians. We're actually going to be tying a bow on it tonight. Next week, Ryan's going to preach uh, some message outside of the book of Galatians. So we're going to be preaching on all of chapter 6 tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open those. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about a couple of things. First, we're going to talking about carrying... One another's burdens in restoring a brother who has been overtaken by sin. And we're going to be talking about boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul is very passionate about this. Fires me up. I hope you guys are um, encouraged by it. And that you uh, will find the words of God refreshing tonight. So, here we go. Let's just dig right in. Galatians chapter 6. Actually, I'm going to start um, at the end of chapter 5 in verse 26. Because... There's a lot smarter people than me who think that, you know, the chapter break should have been uh, at 526 because it ties in perfectly with what we're talking about tonight in chapter six. It kind of initiates us in our passage. So let's go there. 526 says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing You who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who's taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, And yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, here we go. I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross. And I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow the standard, and mercy even to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So, um, as typical towards the end of a book, it seems really like choppy. All this stuff seems like Paul's just like, oh yeah, and you know, here's this proverb, here's this wisdom. Um, but I think this actually ties together more than we think it does. So when he starts, he's talking about if there's a brother or sister among you who's been overtaken by sin. Okay, this doesn't mean like somebody who's really hardened their heart and they're like, man, I just really feel like rebelling. And then they just go crazy and they have no intentions of returning, right? No, this word overtaken is like you have been swept away. You've been duped by Satan, by your flesh. It's gotten the best of you and you feel overtaken by your sin. We've all been there. We know what this is like. And Paul's saying, if you have someone like that among you, he's, notice how he says, you who are spiritual, he's not saying like, you who are better, you who know more, whatever. He's just saying, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, if you're a believer, here's the command. Restore such a person with a gentle spirit. I love that. Um, One of the things, a few of the things we can do when our brother or sister is overtaken by sin is basically anything except restore them. How easy is it for us to like neglect the situation and just like, somebody confesses something to you and you're like, Oh, yeah, man, that sucks. Well, you know, at least that's in your past. And then you just kind of brush it under the rug and you kind of neglect it. You don't really deal with it and you never bring it up again, right? That's not restoration or the opposite. How easy is it for us to look down on a person, to condemn them, to gossip, to judge them? Basically, here's what I'm saying. Here's what Paul's saying. It's really easy to deal with somebody's sin in a way that's not restoration. But that's what we have to do as brothers and sisters in Children of the family of God, we are in the business of restoration. That's good news. That's what Jesus loves to do is to redeem and to restore broken people and broken things. So what's that look like? I don't know. It's different for every person, right? Somebody comes to you with sin. There's not one cure-all. There's not one magical phrase you say, well, oh, you just need to think about this before you sin next time. No, it's different for every person but that's the beauty of our family of the church of our community is we're in each other's lives and somebody comes to you they're struggling they're like i am literally being overtaken by this it's killing me speak into that person's life restore that person to good relationship remind them of who they are and that god is every day offering these new mercies That they can become a new creation every single day. That's what we're supposed to do is restore somebody. And it says with a gentle spirit too, right? What does it take in order to have a gentle spirit? It takes you having been in the same place in order to understand what they're going through. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy to be harsh when you have no idea what they're experiencing. If you've never been broken and like feel like you're being overtaken, it's easy to be like, "We'll just stop doing that. But a gentle spirit comes when you remember who you are, where you've been, what Jesus did in your life. You're able to restore that person with a gentle spirit. There's a guy that says, uh, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism. Better than the way a legalist handles sin. Okay, so Paul in this book is combating the legalists, right? Time and time we see this again, that that you are saved by grace. uh, That there's nothing you can do. The law cannot make you righteous. And so what this quote says is, you want to know the the extent of the wickedness of legalism? Just watch how they handle sin. (laughs) Somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Uh, and and you just lash out at them, well, you're, whatever, condemn your law. That is the wickedness of legalism. You see it played out when they handle sin, but grace, the business of Jesus Christ, is in the business of restoration, gently. And Paul says, do this, and carry one another's burdens, In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So he's like, you Galatians, you want a law to fulfill. You want to stack up and measure up against each other. You want a law to fulfill. And he says, you know what? You want a law? Fine, here it is. Fulfill the law of Christ. What is that? It's to love your neighbor. Right? Jesus says, like, the, all the law and prophets summed up in this. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. You want a law to fulfill? You want to stack up? All right. Love the people around you and carry their burdens. But if I'm going to carry somebody's burden, I actually have to not be carrying a burden myself. You know what I mean? So this goes back to uh, verse 26 where it says, let us not be conceited, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Because if you're full of yourself, you you can't welcome on somebody's, burdens in your life. If you're already carrying a burden of yourself, you cannot carry your brother or sister's burden, right? Like think about it. If I'm going to lift something heavy and it's like too heavy for me, I need somebody to come help me. They actually need to bring that weight, pull that weight themselves. And you cannot do that. You cannot be The brother or sister that they need and the person to to carry the weight if you are full of yourself. Remember when we talked about humility this summer at Veritas. What is humility? It's from Philippians 2. Thinking of others as more important than yourselves. So important. If we are going to restore our brothers and sisters who are overtaken by sin with a gentle spirit and bring their burdens upon ourselves, which is a good thing we should all be doing we cannot be full of ourselves first. Um, Paul goes on to say, uh, pretty famous, famous Bible verses. That I'm sure you guys know that we're not going to touch on too much. But when he says, "Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For what you sow, you will reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap to the spirit." Right? Like Jenny and I are. It's like. I don't know, springtime, so we're planting these plants and whatever, just planted spinach seeds yesterday, okay? Like tilled up the ground, dug a hole, dropped the seeds in, covered it back up, start watering it. I'm not going to be like surprised when spinach pops out of the ground. I'm going to be like happy and excited, but it's not going to be like shocking to me. What would be shocking is if something else, like an apple tree came up, right? That doesn't make sense because that's not how life works. And Paul's saying here... If you start sowing to your flesh, a tree of the flesh is going to erupt. Like this is what Ryan talked about last week, right? But if you're sowing to the Spirit, you are uh, doing. You're following God, you're following Jesus, and you're dropping these little seeds that are filled with the Spirit, you're going to bear the fruits of the Spirit. But even more than that, what he says is, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Not only will a tree erupt that's full of good fruit that you want in your life, but also what are the roots? It's eternal life with God. He wraps up this idea by saying, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So that's my encouragement to you. Work for the good of all for those around you. You guys are scattered everywhere, right? Like your summer's basically already started. Um, Work for the good of those around you and especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Be in contact with one another. Be available and humble enough to carry one another's burdens, whatever that looks like. It's going to look different for everybody. But be willing to do that. And then we move on. We're going to skip a few verses, but uh, to where Paul talks about Um, boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. He is pitting himself against uh, the people who are compelling the Galatians to be circumcised, to follow this law, to do these extra things on top of following Jesus in order to be righteous. And he's saying they're doing this to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So, you know, maybe they're preaching Jesus, but they're also preaching something else. They're preaching... Jesus, following Jesus, believing him plus circumcision or whatever, uh, equals righteousness. And he's saying, no, they're doing this to avoid being persecuted. Maybe by, um, the Romans, maybe by the legalistic Christians, uh, the Jewish people, whoever, but Paul is saying they're ashamed of this. I am not ashamed of this. In fact, verse 14, come on. He says, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is this is unbelievable. He goes on to say, uh, the world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. He's basically saying, the world and I hate each other. Like we are dead to each other. He's like, world, I literally hate hate you. You have been crucified to me and I have been crucified to you. I'm putting my foot in the ground and boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. So this doesn't really make sense. Like, uh, I'm also going to use the word glory a lot, right? Like he is, uh, he's boasting in it, but he's also just glorying in it. Okay. Why is he doing this? Because think about this, you know, before you're like, you know, Oh, why would, why would he not? No, think about this. He could have boasted, gloried in a lot of other aspects of Jesus, like the incarnation. So God actually becoming his own creation, being a man, a man so normal that people were like, who is this guy who's like saying he can forgive sins, right? We don't, we need, if we just ponder the incarnation, it is a glorious doctrine. Wonderful, Maybe the greatest mystery of all. But he doesn't do that. He could glory. He could boast. Find strength. Fire himself up in the life of Jesus. The perfect life. Free of sin. Bringing joy and healing and restoration to everybody that he came across. He doesn't do that. He can boast in the resurrection, right? Like seemingly... A more exciting aspect of Jesus' life. When he actually defeated death itself. He could boast in the ascension. Where he, he was uh, taken up into heaven again. Or right in hand with that. The second coming of Christ. Where we will finally be redeemed. Where the new heavens and the new earth will come. We will reign with Christ forever. We will not be separated from him. He doesn't do any of these things. He says, as for me, I will never boast about anything except The bloody cross. It's like. The most gruesome. uh, Not glorious. Thing in the entire world. And yet this is what he's staking his whole life upon. The cross of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus was put to death. Where God. Died. (laughs) It makes no sense. He's like yes that is what. I'm basing my whole life upon. Well, and what was he doing? This he, bas- he was boasting. Paul's boasting in the fact that the cross was a real historical event. Basically, nobody argues that Jesus didn't die on the cross. He did. Jesus went to the cross and Paul's like, yep, I love that. I'm boasting in that. But also, more than that, he's saying, I'm boasting in what the cross means. What it says, the doctrine of the cross. This is so important. The way we think about God, the way we think about the cross, our theology influences so much of our lives. And Paul's saying, yes, this is at the forefront of my life, the doctrine of the cross, which says that not only are my sins uh, forgiven, but I am given God's righteousness too. So he's talking about the atonement, right? This is the basis of it. That when Jesus was hung on the cross, he was atoning for the sins of the world, paying for them, paying the massive debt, and he was giving us his justification. So we are free, we are no longer guilty. So I want to move on to the effects of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I got these from Charles Spurgeon, who I think he just put them in an amazing way. What were the effects? Of the cross on Paul and what should they be for us first thing is God's divine judgment is clearly seen so I mean this is like a cliche example you know this maybe I can switch it up a little bit but imagine imagine like your best friend okay here actually imagine this imagine my wife commits some crazy crime okay she steals something that's really valuable, and she owes a million dollars. And I'm the judge in this case. Like I, I don't know what the law school, whatever. And uh, I'm judging the case. She's brought in. What, what am I supposed to do? I am supposed to uphold justice because if I don't, I'm unjust, that's, that's not good. And so I look at my wife and I say, "I love you, but you've done something terrible and you deserve punishment. So here is the punishment. You need to pay a million dollars. Boom. Gavel goes down. The judgment has been made. But then immediately after that, I bust out my wallet and say I have a million dollars for whatever reason. I actually pay the debt. So the, the, the punishment has been enacted. It's been in place, but also the debt has been paid. This is God's divine justice. If that was the case, like Jenny, my wife, she can go free and not feel guilty because the debt had been paid. So yes, she goes forward and she's like thankful. Yes, you know, I didn't have to pay my debt. But also she goes forward with a clear conscience because she's, she's not like sneaking around anymore, like hoping she doesn't get caught. No, the debt's been paid. She can go forward confidently, freely with a light conscience because the, the justice is there. And that's what God's doing with the cross. So for those of you who are like struggling with your sin. And you're like, man, I just feel so bad. You know, Jesus, he he died for me. And you are not moving forward in confidence with a clear conscience. You need to be because Jesus paid the price. The justice has been paid. You don't have to feel like you're sneaking around. The justice has been paid. it's there you can be confident in that that's what the cross says first second it displays God's love Romans 5 says while we were still sinners Christ came down and he died for us he died for our sins while we were sinning to show his love for us that's why he did it it's like yeah divine justice amazing God's love absolutely amazing what else? twofold the removal of guilt So, you know, if you have three little boxes here, three little circles, one of them full of negatives, you move into the second one where you are, there's nothing. You are free of guilt. You are innocent. But beyond that, you move forward to the next one. This circle is full of plus signs. You are considered righteous, good. Like God looks at you. For those of you who believe in Jesus Christ and you have this saving faith, God looks at you and he's like, I'm proud of you. I like you. I see what you've done. I'm delighted in you because he sees the life of Jesus in you. What else? The cross is the wisdom of God. Foolishness to the world, for sure, but it is the wisdom of God. Nobody, nobody would have ever come up with this narrative before. (laughs) Like, God chooses a people, uh, they rebel against him, They, they hate him, they don't obey. And so God ends up coming and taking the place of them, dies for them, rises again. He's going to come back. That is, it sounds like a fairy tale, but it's not. It's the wisdom of God. There's a reason that people hate this because it's foolishness to the world. But for us, it's wisdom. It's God's wisdom. It's what we cling on to. It's what the cross says. Next, the cross, you approach it as a door of hope. How many places do we look for hope in this world? Yet when you knock on the cross, it actually turns into a door that you open up and you enter into a realm of hope. Because yes, it's gruesome. Yes, it's bloody. Yes, it was terrible at one point, but now it is what we cling on to. It is our hope. It is what declares us righteous as Jesus died on it. Next, it's the source of rest. So like when... uh, Jesus says, you know, all of you who are weary and burdened, come follow me. Come take my yoke upon yourselves. You'll find rest for your souls. We look back now and we understand that the burden that Jesus is inviting us to carry, the load that he's inviting us to carry is actually a cross. It's an invitation to die to ourselves. And in that, we find true rest for our souls. We find unity with Jesus. We find the the pace and the lifestyle of Jesus as we die to ourselves and live for him. And lastly, I love this. The cross of Jesus Christ breeds enthusiasm. Like it it pumps you up. Like it would be so silly if you guys came to SALT or you came to Veritas or whatever and we started preaching these philosophies Uh, We started preaching ethics and like, can you imagine if we came and we were preaching karma? Yeah, do good things and good things will come to you. Do bad things, bad things will come to you. That's not, that doesn't get you excited at all. But you know, if you've been following Jesus for a while, there's been a time in your life where somebody was preaching the cross of Jesus and this enthusiasm started rising up in you. Or maybe you're telling your friend about the cross of Jesus and what it means for them for the first time and you're like getting fired up and they're like, you know, maybe a little freaked out because you're so passionate about the cross of Jesus and what it means. Nothing else breeds enthusiasm. A consistent, strong enthusiasm like the cross does. No sports team. I mean, how silly would it be if every day you woke up and you like reminded yourself of that one time The New York Giants won the Super Bowl. It would get so boring. Your enthusiasm would just be wiped out. I mean, that's why when people win the Super Bowl, you know, like a week later, they're like, yeah, it's just back to normal life and whatever. Nothing breeds enthusiasm like the cross of Jesus Christ. In the world, what can it offer us? The world offers us many things. It it doesn't want us to take hold of and cling to the bloody cross of Jesus. It offers us its wisdom We don't want it. The world offers its approval. It looks tempting, but turns out to be nothing. It offers us its religion. Whatever that may be, I mean, it's changed so much. Always fails. The world offers its pleasures, which, again, look tempting and leave us feeling empty. And lastly, the world offers its power, which turns out to be... Nothing compared to the power of the creator of the universe, the sustainer who holds all things in his hands. Salt Company. May we boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ our Savior. May we not be ashamed of it, but be proud of it. Looking forward to it every single day, what it means, what it says about us. Because something that it says is, it's still an invitation. If you if you look to the cross of Jesus, the death of God, paired with his resurrection, he's inviting you to follow him. He's inviting you to new life, a new way of living, and the promise of eternal life with him forever. This can still be taken advantage of today. He's still waiting. The cross is still there inviting you to follow Jesus and find life. Man, I pray that this would be the mark of our ministry. That your family members, that your roommates, the people you meet on campus this fall, whatever, would be like, I don't remember too much about that person. or Just that the mark of our lives would be the cross of Christ. May we boast in nothing else. This is good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. Lord, the the foolishness of the world. People people might be watching this and just making fun of us right now. And I get it because it doesn't really make sense. Yet this is the wisdom of God. This is your plan A from the beginning of the world, is to save sinners by having them believe in the crucified and risen again Savior. This is what we take joy in. This is our hope, Lord. I'm praying that if there's any listening now who feel the Spirit urging them to believe, to take that next step of obedience, Lord, that you would you would stir, uh, you would just push them over the edge, that they would believe, that they would tell somebody, and start to follow you. God, we pray for the redemption of our world. We're looking forward to the day when you will come back and restore all things with your gentle spirit. We're asking that you do that in Iowa City, the place that we love, uh, where all of our friends are. And God, we ask that you would be able to bring us back together soon as we deeply miss each other. So thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We pray these things in your name. Amen.